Living on the Ragged Edge. This is our final message in the series as we're going through Ecclesiastes, Finding Joy in a World Gone Mad. This is a book we're using by Chuck Swindoll to guide us through Ecclesiastes, and it's a good thing. The title of the message today, Wrapping Up a Ragged Edge Journey. But I want to give you a heads up, and I'll speak of this at the end of the message. We are starting a new series next week, Don't Give Up. I'll tell you more about that at the end, but uh, today, Living on the Ragged Edge, and I'll talk to you more about Don't Give Up at the end. It's one of those things, it's a crazy place where we've arrived in the, in the times of our lives. We have, we've accepted that if you go to your doctor, you want the doctor to ask questions. I mean, you want them to ask questions that you didn't even think to ask so they can find out whatever you need to find out to make you better. That's okay. We accept that. We accept that if you go to a college or a university, that the professor has more questions than answers, that they, they're smarter that way, you know, that's what we think. In fact, uh, there was a story uh, that I was, was reiterated to me about a professor in Florida. A student went up to the professor and said, the book that you've given to the class, you contradict all the time. And he said, bring the book up to me, show me. And, and the guy had like little sticky notes on every page, and he had highlighted and asterisked and underlined, and he started showing them. See, here, 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 here. And the professor said, give me that. Took the book, and he tore the pages out and handed it back to him and said, now we agree. And most people who were at, in a college or university would just accept that. That's okay. That's the way professors act anymore. And even when a preacher is preaching sometimes, a preacher will say something, and it goes over somebody's head, and somebody will think, Wow, I don't know what that meant, but it seems profound. We, we, it's weird. When did complexity and something that doesn't make sense sound smart? But that's where we are. And, and it, we accept it from lawyers. We accept it from detectives. We accept it from all kinds of people. If you're full of more questions than answers, that's okay. In fact, you're considered having a critical mind if you're that way today. But if you dare to say, I know this, and I believe it, I know it's right, and if you stand on it firmly, you're considered to be hard to believe. I don't know. And so really, when it comes to what we do in churches where you have a preacher preaching, it's not really that accepted today. You're not supposed to have, you're not supposed to stand firm on your ground. Even if I take this and I say, this is what I believe, I read it and I say to you, that's what I believe. Somebody's going to come back with, that's your opinion. No, no, I, I just read it right here, and I actually believe these words. I just read to you. Well, that's your interpretation. I didn't interpret. I'm just telling you I, re, I believe this, and you read it. That's your interpretation. That's the world in which we live. People don't want to accept somebody saying they believe something adamantly, and they know it's true. But the reality is that's what preachers should be doing. Amen. And we, you might have forgotten in this journey through Ecclesiastes, we began in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 1. Look at this, the words of the preacher. You remember that? Solomon identifies himself as the preacher. And in verse 2, he says this. He gives us the theme. You can follow along. You've got notes in your programs if you want to fill in the blanks. Vanity of vanities. 
all is vanity. And we hear this so much through Ecclesiastes, it's so redundant that we actually get tired of it because we see it so much. It's like, oh, really? Again, here we are with vanity of vanities. All is vanity. But that's the theme. Swindoll says this, in other words, life is an empty study in futility. And if you read through Ecclesiastes, and if you've journeyed through this with us, and since we've been in this since April, this series, you can't help but see he became a depressed preacher. And you can't help but read through it yourself and think, this is kind of a downer. Had a seasoned former leader in the church here this morning, a very respected man, told me, this is depressing. <laughs> it is. It's depressing. And it's supposed to be because Solomon is taking us through this journey. He has a journal taking us through his journey where he, was, he asked for wisdom and God gave it to him. But the way he gave it, it wasn't like candy. He just handed it, here you go, here's wisdom. No, he had him go through life learning the hard way. That's the way you tend to learn wisdom. As you, as you go through life and you're gaining wisdom, and hopefully you learn from the difficulties of life. That's, some of you are going through that right now. You're going through some difficulties. You're supposed to get some wisdom here. Solomon, if you can imagine the scenario I've shared with you before, Solomon, the richest man, even today, they still calculate what his money would be like today, richest man that would ever live. So you, you see him coming in the fanciest sports car that you haven't even heard of because nobody can afford it, but he can. So he pulls up in the sports car, he does this kind of a donut thing, and, and, and you're like, wow, that's the guy that you see on the red carpet all the time. That's the guy that rules the known world. And, he pulls, and you're thinking, I'd like to be like him. He's got so much money. And, and he flings open the door and he says, it's not worth it. That's what he says in Ecclesiastes. Like you think he's got everything. And remember, he was even a womanizer. He had a thousand women. I mean, if it were played in the media today, they'd be saying, oh, that guy's got to go on. He's got to be happy. He's like Hugh Hefner. Oh, it must be great to be him. And he says, uh-uh, I tried all that. It's not worth it. It screams off the pages. And he's a preacher. Wow. And all the way into our text of last week. Remember last week we talked about if we're privileged to live a long life, we're going to get old and we're going to die. That's a downer, but that's what he said. And it ends with this, Ecclesiastes 12, 7, and 8 in that section. And the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. There it is again. And I left the note up there on the slide behind me because I wanted you to see again there's a note that marks that Hebrew word, because vanity, you need to know what it means. It essentially means Solomon was trying to grasp. He's trying to find the meaning of life, and he's doing it in such a way. He's looking, we can go in a minute, we'll, we'll see a slide that talks about this, but he's trying to, to find meaning, the meaning of life on the surface, under the sun. And it's not within his grasp. That's vanity. Robert Short said this. The author of the book of Job was a consummate dramatist. 
The psalmist was a lyrical poet. The author of Jonah knew how to tell a fascinating story. The author of Genesis and Exodus was a historical novelist who could recount powerful sagas of epic proportions. But Ecclesiastes? Ah. The preacher was also no mean poet. But fundamentally, he was an artist of another sort. He was a photographer. He showed us images. And when you talk about a photograph, what that means is essentially using light to give us images. And sometimes you see these photographs, and, and, and it's hard. If you're a, per a person who takes pictures, you understand a little bit more about this sort of thing, where lighting has everything to do with how the photograph's going to come out. You can, take a, a, you can have a nice image, like the one that's up behind me. That, that's an interesting image. It's got um, light behind the individual, which makes it hard to have a photograph of the individual. So you have to have, you, you know, whatever natural lighting might be there, plus you have to have extra lighting to make the photograph work. And you, you want some of the shadows to, to be there and some of them not. But what Solomon does is he gives us wisdom in a photograph. In little pictures, we get to see the shadows. We, we get depth of insight, even in the dark shadows. He gives us images and visuals. He, we're, we're able to comprehend because he doesn't want us to have to go through God doesn't want us to have to go through what he went through to gain his wisdom he's preaching he delivers it in his journal it's all about the journey of his life and in the last part there are two sections and you can see up there the horizontal and vertical thinking we talked about this before. Solomon was doing a lot of horizontal thinking as God was teaching him wisdom, and he finally got to the vertical thinking. It was, he was thinking of things on the surface, below the sun. Then he thought above the sun. In the last part, there are two sections. The first one is the horizontal thinking. It's, it's about himself as a preacher. And the second part is about God. That's the vertical thinking. And it's so good that he wraps it up this way, but I'll tell you now, it is uncomfortable. You, you, will, you will go there as we get to the end. Winston Churchill said this, Man will occasionally stumble over the truth, but most of the time he will pick himself up and continue on. <laughs> That's what we do. Oftentimes there is the truth. We stumble right over it. There it is. We see it. But because we like doing what we do, we keep doing it anyway. We know we shouldn't. A man by the name of E. Stanley Jones watched something unfold on a cruise. It was a senior citizen couple that essentially had everything, at least financially they did, but really they had nothing. I'll let his words describe what he witnessed. Here they are. They were angry with the table stewards for not giving them super service. They seemed to be afraid they might starve between courses. Their physical appetite seemed the one thing that mattered to them. I never saw them reading a book or paper. They sat between meals and stared out, apparently waiting for the next meal. One night, I saw them sitting thus and staring blankly when a bright idea flashed across the dull brain of the man. He went to the mantelpiece and picked up 
the vases and looked into them and then returned to his wife with the news, they're empty. I came very near laughing. He was right. They're empty. But it wasn't merely the, ve- the vases. The souls and brains of both of them were empty. They had much in their purses, but nothing in their persons. And that was their punishment. They had security with boredom, no adventure. They had expanding girths and narrowing horizons. That's a horrible photograph. Solomon begins in our text today. In verses 9 and 10, I'll read to you, Ecclesiastes 12. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. So he's telling you about himself. The preacher, besides being wise, he was given wisdom, he got the wisdom, learned the hard way. He also taught people knowledge. He wanted, the, he wanted the people to have the knowledge he gained. And this weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care, God inspired him to do this. But when you read Ecclesiastes and when you read Proverbs, you can see he masterfully did this by the inspiration of God. But he sought to find words of delight and uprightly wrote the words of truth. As uncomfortable as they may be, we need to learn from him. John R.W. Stott said this about this. The preacher is to primarily be worrying over and wrestling with the biblical text as a dog with a bone. As Solomon was so intent on having the truth and delivering the truth, this is like the preacher, many preachers use this as their launching pad. That's the primary thing they should be focused on, is digging for the truth, finding the truth, getting to the truth, and staying with it. This is what a dog does. They want the marrow. They'll oftentimes even, they'll, they'll bury it so they can get back to it later and, and get to that. And they will stay at it and stay at it as hard as it may be because they want to get to it. And that's what the primary job of the preacher is, is to get to the truth and deliver it. And he should be very concerned, making sure he's studying. But it's more than that. It's more than just getting to the truth and delivering the truth. It's, it's more. Check this out. It continues in verse 11. I'll also read verse 12. The words of the wise are like goads. Apologies to you for using a word. You don't even know what it means, probably, or many of you don't. Most of us don't even know what a goad is, but let me tell you. A goad is something that is used to prod an animal along to get it to do what it doesn't want to do. And you even see this in the 23rd Psalm. uh, Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. (laughs) Well, it's not that much of a comfort to have a hook brought around your neck when you're getting too far away or to be prodded along to go where you don't want to go. It doesn't feel good. But in the 23rd Psalm, it comforts us. We're supposed to take comfort in that God does this. He goads us along. And the preacher is supposed to present a message that is God's message that he's studied to make sure it's right, to make sure it's spot on doctrinally. But it's more than that. It's supposed to move people in places they don't want to go. 
Get them to do things they don't want to do. Get them to say things they don't want to say. Get them to stop saying things they've been saying. Stop listening to what they've been listening to. To motivate people to do what God wants them to do even though they don't want to do it. This is the job of the preacher. He's supposed to do that. The Word of God is to be used that way. might be uncomfortable, but we're supposed to be pushed, prodded. I, I kept a t-shirt for a long time that reminded me of how badly animals don't like to be forced to do what they don't want to do. I used to work in a dairy, and in this dairy, you, you have this practice when, you're gonna, when there's a cow that comes in that is in a bad mood, and that happens, just like people. Animals get in bad moods. And, and you can tell when, they're, when you're getting them in there, you can tell. You get used to it. And so I had a cow come in. It was in a very bad mood. And I got the cow in the stanchion. That's where they feed, and you kind of get their head in there so they can't pull out. But if they're in a bad mood, you can tell by their body language because they're not going to tell you, hey, I'm in a bad mood. Put that thing on me that doesn't let me kick you. They're not going to do that. You've got to watch the body language of the cow. And, oh, this, this is a big one. This is this. I got to put the, they have this little hook thing you put on. goes up underneath the the hind leg area where it connects to the body and then goes over the back so that the cow doesn't want to kick because it feels that pinching. I'm mad at him, but I'm not going to kick him. And I had that on the cow, but this cow was in an extra bad mood. I thought I was safe. I thought I had prodded it along to not kick me. But even when you do, sometimes... They still kick, and I kept the T-shirt that left an imprint right on my chest. I got hit so hard, knocked into a brick wall. I felt it for a long time, so I kept the T-shirt to remind me that sometimes we animals, even though we're being prodded along to do what we don't want to do, we still don't do what God wants us to do. That's what preachers are supposed to do even though it's uncomfortable, even though people don't want to hear it, even though people don't want to be moved to do that thing. And they will resist sometimes. <laughs> the words of the wise are like goads. And like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings they are given by one shepherd. That's God. These are so absolutely true. The words that we have here in the Bible are fixed. They are true. And you're not going to change it. This is God's word. Like nails, they're solid. And they hold things together. This is the Word of God. My son, look what he says, verse 12. Beware of anything beyond these. Of, make, of make, making many books, there is no end. And much study is a weariness of the flesh. The reality is, there are a lot of books. In fact, there are a lot of books that are sold in Christian bookstores, on Christian uh, sources online that bear Christian titles, and they're geared for Christian people. You know, there's a, <clears throat> maybe you read Philip Yancey's books, but Philip Yancey is quite bothered by the lower standard we've had in our Christian book writing for many years. We have been gracious, it's good to be gracious, but we've been so gracious that many of our books are redundant. They repeat themselves chapter after chapter, and they just keep going on, and they're filled with a bunch of filler and fluff, and, there's, and, and it's actually boring. There's a reason why people outside the church don't often read material put out by church people. 
And Solomon was careful to make sure that the words were appropriate and they were fitting and that they were delightful. That We've got to be careful. You shouldn't, as a preacher, bore people to death. And they're not going to listen. They're not going to keep listening. They'll just take naps. Remember, when, remember that story of the, the preacher? A man fell asleep in church and the preacher said, Hey, deacon, wake him up. And the deacon said, You put him to sleep, you wake him up. <laughs> Preachers shouldn't be putting people to sleep. But he says, beware, my son, of anything beyond these. What do you mean, anything beyond these? Beyond the words of wisdom given by God, by the, given by the shepherd. Beware of anything beyond these. Is, are there other books out there that have facts in them? Absolutely. There, but I can tell you that when it comes to the facts that are out there, and there's, there's people with opinions that are opposed to Scripture, but the facts that are out there in other books and the facts that are out there, they always tend to support the Bible. When you read them out, hey, they support God's Word. God's, worth is true. God's Word is true and is of great value, and it's the main book. It should be the main book. Beware of anything beyond these. This reminds me of one of my favorite passages in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. I've got the NIV up behind me. Do not go beyond what is written. That is a good theme for life. When you're going to be a preacher or a teacher, someone who instructs other people in the ways of the Lord, do not go beyond what is written. This is our guidebook, people of God. Reminds me of another passage in the New Testament, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Listen to this. J.B. Phillips said, If words are to enter men's hearts and bear fruit, they must be the right words shaped cunningly to pass men's defenses and explode silently and effectually within their minds. Because you see, if we don't want to be goaded along, we put up defenses. We want to keep doing what we're doing. We, we live in a world now where people actually believe that whatever they do is right because it's what they're doing. It's the right thing because it's what I'm doing. It, it, people's morals seem to change as they, their behavior changes. You might stand on a principle, this is what is right, this is what God's Word teaches, until suddenly it's you or your family and you're doing something different. Now it's okay. And then people think, and they actually say this on a regular basis, well, I was doing my best, when you know they're not even trying. People say this, well, I do my best. In fact, we, you, you get on social media all the time, there's these posts out there all the time that are telling people, you are doing your best. How do you know? You can't tell the whole world you are doing your best because not very many people do. But we, we say it and we just want to justify ourselves. We want to justify our behavior. We don't like to be goaded along. We kick back. We put up our defenses. And so the good preacher is going to craft his words in such a way that it's going to motivate us to not just believe differently, but to act differently. Don't just think you're doing right because you're doing it. What's right is what God's word says is right. Back when George Whitefield was preaching, it was noticed that a skeptic 
a skeptic by the name of David Hume, had traveled through bitter cold temperatures to get to the place to hear George Whitefield preach. Yet he was a skeptic of Christianity. And so a bystander noticed and recognized him and said to him, Mr. Hume, I didn't know you believed this message. And he said, I don't. But that man in the chapel does, and I can't stay away. When you are one who is charged with preaching and with teaching, you must craft your words in such a way that people can tell you believe it, and then you believe it's true, it might have an impact on the listeners. It's got to be interesting. It's got to be appealing. It's got to be motivating. Look at verses 13 and 14. This is the conclusion of this journal that's got the journey of Solomon's life. He now gives us a conclusion, and he is vertically thinking. The end of the matter, all has been heard. In other words, I've said what I need to say. Here's, here's the conclusion. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. The uncomfortable part is now. Verse 14. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. And I have read this. I have read this in a venue like this, preaching. I've read it in Bible study. And I've had people come back with just reading that one verse. I don't believe that. Chuck Swindoll's response to that, he's had the same response. People say, when you read this verse, people respond with, I don't believe that. I'll read it again. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. And people respond with, I, I don't believe that. Chuck Swindoll's response, I don't care. And then just so you know, I do care. Because if you don't believe that, I want you to change and believe it because that means you're not going to modify your behavior means you're going to keep justifying yourself. You're going to keep saying things you shouldn't say, listening to things you shouldn't listen to. You're going to keep doing things you shouldn't be doing. You're not going to do the things God wants you to do. You have to understand God expects us to modify our behavior. He expects us to live for Him. You say, Jesus is my Lord and Savior, Christians. Okay, okay, if he, I understand that. You, you, he's the one who died on the cross to save us. So, he becomes Savior, yeah. But it goes hand in hand. You don't get the Savior without the Lord. Okay, he's, your, uh, he's my Lord. That means you live for Him. That means you modify your behavior to please Him. Nobody's perfect. We all know this. But my scripture says here, in this book filled with so much wisdom, for God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. And that makes us uncomfortable. Because we all mess up. We all make mistakes. We've done things, and we don't want everybody to think about those things. We want, we want grace, because God gives grace. And just so you're aware, when he forgives, he forgives. You go to him, and you say, I'm sorry. I will change. And you change, and you try to right your wrongs to the best of your ability. God forgives. That's, that's true also. But unrepentant sin, don't expect forgiveness. You don't want to be forgiven? Don't expect to be forgiven. It requires modifying your behavior. It requires changing your mind. It requires asking forgiveness and, and changing 
what you've been doing and what, what you do and, and righting the wrongs. The New Testament validates this thought. I'll just give you one verse. Hebrews 9, 27. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. It really does happen. The creator of the universe, the one responsible for you existing, expects you to love him back by the way you live your life. That's expected of us. And that's hard it's a crazy way to wrap up this journal. I mean, it ends at the very end. The main thing, love, fear God, and obey His commandments. So you essentially love Him back by the way you live. That's hard for many of us to hear because we, we have been hanging on to things we shouldn't be hanging on to. We've been thinking it's okay. One of the biggest difficulties as a preacher that's hard for me to deal with is that there are people who are veterans, seasoned Christians, behind closed doors or just out of eyes or ears, distance. <laughs> um, you've got veteran, seasoned Christians telling others, it's okay, it's okay, I do it. Everybody does. And we just keep justifying our behaviors and telling other people that this is normal. No, God expects us to love him back by living for him. Some of us didn't need to hear that. Some of us this morning, we're okay. We're, we hear that, it's like, I know, I'm trying. We already know this. We're trying to do our best for him. And we fail, but he forgives us when we, when we realize we're failing and we pick ourselves up. He forgives us and he allows us to move on and we grow, we gain wisdom. We're already there, we know this, good. And you delight in hearing a message that... that it resonates with you. But some of us are at a different point. Some of us have been going through so much junk, so much difficulty in life, we just feel like quitting. Maybe it's health issues. Maybe it's financial. Maybe it struggles with our own faith. But I got to tell you, we enter a series next week, Don't Give Up. And this is the message that we're needing. We've gone through the journey going through Ecclesiastes that seems so depressing but gives us clear direction. But some of us are in deep need of a journey through Hebrews 11 and 12. So we're going to take this journey. This is not the book Don't Give Up by Kyle Eidelman. There is a book called Don't Give Up by Kyle Eidelman. He's a special guy. Uh, but we're asking the church members here, if you are in a small group, do it with your small group by all means. If you're not in a small group and you can't get into one, we'll help you start one. It, it really is not that difficult. There's a kit you can get. You, if you get on Amazon or you get it from wherever you want, but you can order the kit that comes with the Don't Give Up journal. This is not the book. This is the journal. You don't need the book. It comes with the DVDs. Those are great for your small groups. If you're not in a small group, can't get in a small group, can't start a small group, and you want to do it on your own, then I'd recommend going ahead and getting the whole kit. In the kit, you have a leader's guide. You might not use that if you're just doing it on your own, but you'll use the journal, and you'll use the DVDs. There's, there's DVDs. We're going to go through just a few weeks of these. So this week, what's happening is our small groups that are participating, they're, they're going to meet they're going to play the first DVD. They're going to go through a study, very, very brief. And they're going to launch after their small group meeting and after the DVD, they're going to launch into the journal. 
Some will just go to the small groups and not even do the journals, but I recommend, if you can, do the journal. And, and here's what I didn't even mention. I forgot to mention in first service. I'll tell them next week. I would like feedback. If you're doing this, I would really like feedback. We're doing this different than we've ever done any of these before. Typically, if we do something like this, I deliver a message that launches us into something. This time, it's the small groups and individuals that are launching us. Because I'm, I'm hoping to get feedback from everybody so that the message that happens the next Sunday will be impacted by where we are. I think it'll be more helpful right where we are right now in, in, in our church. So don't give up. I highly recommend this. If you're one that is having a hard time finishing your race or you feel like quitting, this is going to help. And even mentioning it this morning, you know, wrapping up that series through Ecclesiastes, mentioning a new one that's starting next week, just mentioning that is helping some people more than likely right here, right now. They're hearing, I need that. I need that extra nudge to not give up. And so this morning we offer a song of decision. Why do we do this? Why do we have a song of decision after the preacher's done preaching? Because we have an opportunity to respond. If God has been trying to goad us along, we have an opportunity instead of kicking back to go the direction he's trying to push us. This is our chance. So during the song of decision, we sing the words we, we just sing it because it's part of our worship, and we're in with this. We're, we're in tune with it. It's resonating with us. And some of us feel like, I, I've been doing things I shouldn't be doing. I've been justifying some behaviors I shouldn't be justifying. I've got to stop. Some of us need to talk to God about that while the rest of us are singing. We wouldn't know anyway. Just, just quietly do that. Some of us might need to come forward. Some of us are thinking about the don't give up part. God, are you speaking to me? I've been feeling like quitting. Feel like you're wanting me to keep going. And you might need to talk to him about it while the rest of us are singing. Or maybe you feel like that's the answer. I've been looking for something to help me keep going. That's it. Thank you, Lord. And maybe you just sing the song with praise and just a lot of enthusiasm in you. I don't know what's happening with the Holy Spirit in you right now, but I hope God is goading you along. And if that's happening, go his direction. Don't kick back. Let's all stand and sing.